Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I have Scott Schimmel with me on. He is the co-host of the Dream Big Podcast and also the uh, co-founder of the U-School, correct? Yep. 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 So thanks for, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to. All the way yeah. from California. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us some context on your background and growing up and what that was like for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so really, really tough childhood. I grew up in South Orange County <laughs> in, a, in a gated neighborhood, uh, playing golf and tennis and, and school of hard knocks. And uh, <laughs> But I think one thing I've learned it, it, out of that, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got uh, struggles. There's pain. There's darkness. So um, I grew up I, obviously super uh, set up for success, excellence. And one of the biggest blessings, benefits of living in a community like that, you look around and you see people going for things and it's just in the water, it's in the air, it's in the culture. It's what you do. You, you do well in school, you go and do well in career. Uh, but I think a little bit out of the anxiety, there's some anxiety there, pressure. Uh, I decided early when I was like 13 to announce to everybody that I was going to go into accounting someday. And uh, in my family that, you know, most of my family tree is like accountants and finance and banking. And so in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I was just kind of reading the room and trying to in, anticipate what could I do that would bring me things that I was hungry for, acceptance and validation and approval. And accounting really worked. Like no one worries about the kid that's going into accounting. Yeah. And I used to use it. I for sure, I'd like picking up a girl for a dance or something. And I'd, I'd make sure to tell the dad, you know, he didn't even ask, but I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go into finance someday. And then they would say, honey, you know, you got to hold on to this one. So, Meet this kid. Yeah. Yeah. It really worked for a long time. And then, uh, you know, what was missing though, was any sense of deeper exploration and uh, self-awareness. Uh, so if I had maybe had a guide through that time, it would have like pay attention to your love for people, pay attention to your love for sports, pay attention to your love for story and um, pay attention to how good of a friend you are. Like those, all, those other things that don't necessarily fit on a report card. So, I, you know, it's a much longer story, but part of my journey was trying to figure out who, who am I really? And I had the very fortunate luxury to actually do that. I wasn't in survival mode. I, I didn't have to, you know, just take any job to make money. I could I was the first millennial who can kind of wonder, like, what should I do with my life? Uh, and that's what I've really been doing professionally ever since is helping young people do that same thing that I wish I had. Yeah. Well, what was it about accounting? You kind of touched on that, but just seeing your family as a part of that, was that a yeah. reason why you kind of found that trajectory early on? Yeah. Part of it, I think, was looking at my older sister who was going after big things, like get into the certain schools, go be a doctor. And that just looked stressful to me. So I, I wanted to pick something that wouldn't be stressful. It was, it was easy. Uh, it, it was for me, it would have been easy. And then also it's a respectable path. It's, it's, it's a story that you look at. And I, I would think 99% of people in our country would say, Oh, well, good job. You know, you're taking care of your family. You're taking care. Uh, you've been respectable, like you're making money, all that sort of thing. Um, and in my family, no one ever said to do that. No one ever said, this is what we do. We expect this from you. But I certainly got quite a bit of affirmation when they said that. And uh, many years later, when I let them all know, actually, I'm going to go work for this faith-based nonprofit and raise money. And kind of, you know, to them, it would have been like me joining the Peace Corps or something that make no sense. Uh, but, I, you know, it resolved things. Who am I? What do I do here? How do I like, you know, ar ar architect a life that's good It and picking accounting was like, that was such a simple solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to dive into the stuff you just talked about, but, you know, early on too, how much of a factor we're having, uh, you said you grew up in a good environment, having great parents around you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 
huge. The the lessons of hard work. Um, I think my my dad working really hard, working all the time. I just that just it gets ingrained into people. It certainly got ingrained into me. That's what you do. That's what good people do. You work hard. I mean, it could have been kind of more classic Protestant work ethic, Puritan work ethic. And my mom at home, PTA mom, driving me everywhere, and also helping me interpret life. Uh, as she would say, you know, look at your dad, look at what he's doing. This is something, I mean, in very classical roles, right? Dad's off to work, mom's at home. Uh, but my mom also was very kind of go for it energy and and created a, a lot of uh, leadership and influence in her, in her sphere, uh, in, in the neighborhood and schools and volunteering places. So those, those were deeply ingrained lessons. And at the same time, a few years later, they, uh, after 30, almost 30 years of marriage, they separated and got divorced. So that's also a big part of what you see on the outside. There's always more uh, underneath the story. And that incident, that kind of separation was my warning sign. I think in, in many ways, I would look to my dad and say, hey, thank you for uh, you know, some version of a midlife crisis that you had, because I got to see the trajectory and path that I was on and what would have happened, maybe the sacrifices he made early on to kind of lose himself for the sake of being respectful and respectable and a good dad and a good husband. Um, don't do that. Don't go down that path. So I got to have this little quarter life crisis on the back of his, I wouldn't have chosen that. That's a lot of pain to get there. Sure, sure. <laughs> I would have preferred like, I don't know, walk around the block and <laughs> yeah, that would have been a little easier, but I got the lesson for sure. Yeah. No, was that, was that a point in your life that kind of obviously made you think a little bit about your trajectory where you're going, obviously. And, and yeah. what, what point in your life was that? Were you in high I was school 20, or college? I was middle, yeah, middle of college. Oh, really? Okay. So thankfully out of the house, I never had to deal with what a lot of other kids from divorced families deal with. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the, that was such a strong foundation and it didn't just open up questions for me about like, what should I do professionally? It was way bigger. Like what, what is if I thought we were in this healthy, happy, perfect family. So if, you know, in many ways, if that's not it, then, and then you just layer on all the other things, uh, you know, I thought that was what life is all about. If that's not, and I didn't reject all those good things. But I think I got the luxury to examine some of the stuff that didn't work and not as though my parents were letting me in on their therapy sessions or, but it was more like me doing this deep observation. In other words, goes to Christmas future is calling. Don't turn into that. And, uh, and you, and I will, I've had a deep sense of, I will go down that path uh, for sure. That is the path I'm on. It's how could I not? So what is what then does it look like to change the operating system, how you think and your values? It's it's a really deep thing. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you and me, like it happened for me when my mm. parents were about, I think I was about 19 or 20. I was in college oh, wow. as well. Yeah. So same type of deal. And it gives you a chance to analyze and look back and see, all yeah. right, well, I had two great loving parents that loved and cared for my, yeah. my brother and I. But at the same time, you get to observe and, and yeah. get to see a little bit about, okay, well, if this is the trajectory I'm on, how can I right. maybe do a, a little pivot to go in a different yeah. direction, right? Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. a gift there if yeah, you're looking for it. Absolutely. You got to be looking for it though, too, mm -hmm. though, because that is, mm -hmm. it's not fun either. So no. um, when you were getting out of high school into college, where did you wind up going to school? Mm. I went to University of San Diego, which in my day was really easy to get into. It's, I don't think it is anymore. I met, and I, and I had this big scholarship, academic scholarship. I bumped into somebody that I know that works there as an admissions officer. So she's the one that like reads the applications. And I just, uh, talking to her, I said, hey, I'm just curious. Uh, I'm, I remember my GPA and SAT scores and stuff. Um, what, you know, well, you know, what would I get? And she's like, uh, you might get in, like maybe get in. She's like, we're certainly not giving you a scholarship. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> So my day was, it was pretty easy to get in and I, I had uh, gone to a Catholic high school and it really enjoyed the environment. And then also it had a top accounting program uh, and it was down the street from where my sister was going. So there's a lot of factors, but it was another version of me. I think I was maybe 15 and I saw the campus for like 10 minutes and I was like, oh, that's easy. I'm going to go there. It's nice. It's respectable. It's uh, my, everyone will agree. It's a good school, but at the same time, I didn't have to stretch myself. It wasn't a risk. I knew my GPA was like a slam dunk. Um, I'm so happy I went there. It was amazing. Yeah. 
um, but it wasn't this thoughtful process that I would hope most kids go through. Yeah. When did that, when did the uh, transformation kind of take, take place in your life when you realized that, okay, this is not the route I want to take. Let me step into something that might be a little more different, but more subtle to where I want to be. It it was, these two things were converging. One part was my family and my parents. The other part I had, I didn't grow up in any sort of faith expression. And although going to Catholic high school, but that was very, that that seemed like a culture to me, not, not anything personal, but I, you know, Bob Goff uses this phrase, bumped into Jesus. I bumped into Jesus and early in college because of a girl, which I think is probably the start of the story of many people. <laughs> there was this girl and she wanted to go to church. And I said, sure, I'll take you. And, and it, many things clicked to me uh, in faith. And I got very involved uh, suddenly in this campus ministry where I was given, asked to be a leader. And within maybe a few weeks of essentially becoming a Christian, aligning myself to Christ, I was asked to lead a Bible study of a bunch of freshmen. I was a sophomore at the time. And I was like, whoa, guys, like I, I, I just bought a Bible that has yeah. plastic on it. Who's running this organization? And they're like, no, no, no. You're like, you'll be great. And I'm like, okay. So I had 30 freshmen in a dorm and all of a sudden I'm leading them in conversations about faith and about life. And so that was happening in the background as I'm doing accounting and then my family kind of implodes. So I, part of that was, what is this part of me that I all day long am thinking about, okay, what's the next Bible study? It wasn't just Bible study. It was, how do I create environments for people to grow and learn? And essentially it was teaching uh, peers and thinking about plans and strategies. That's all I wanted to do and think about while doing internships and accounting. And so this kind of like made me look over here and say, oh my gosh, what, what is that? I, and I had no value for ministry, no understanding of what it was. I didn't know it was a job. I was like, well, you guys work here? Like that's yeah, a thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was a thing. And I was invited into it and had great mentors who affirmed me and gave me opportunities. And it seemed like me choosing to go into that instead of accounting. I look back and think at the time I would have said, it's because I feel called. It's because I believe in this these things. But I think if I'm honest, looking back, going into full-time ministry, with the people I worked with was my opportunity to redefine family. It was an opportunity for me to grow personally, to exercise gifts. And I couldn't find anywhere else to do that. That would have matched in that way. It was challenging. I just met everything. So it was very, it was very, I mean, self-centered or whatever. Um, at the same time, it was this output of ministry for other people. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about uh, having people around you that kind of embodied what you were seeing, who were some guys that you looked up to and admired and what were the qualities that stood out to you from afar? You know, there were two guys on campus at USD that were about my dad's age. And one was in charge of the Catholic campus ministry for the entire school. And the other one was the lead staff director for InterVarsity, this is big college ministry nationally. And his campus that he was working at, of all the campuses he could have worked at, at his, he was I don't know, mid forties at the time, probably. Uh, he just chose USD, just kind of say, "Hey, I'll I'll go spend some time there with students." And both of those guys, we uh, took interest in me, and, and and the idea. I remember both of them at different times would say things like, "Hey, do you want to grab coffee sometime?" And I was like, "What? I, what does that even mean to have <laughs> coffee with a grown man? Like that didn't that didn't happen when yeah. I grew up." <laughs> and but there, but yeah, sure. And their interest and curiosity in my life and about what I thought. And both of those guys just had a huge fatherly impact on me, mentoring, leadership. They gave me opportunities, put me out front, uh, and then would correct me when I was an idiot. Um, so those, uh, I, I owe so much that those guys were inflection points for my life in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important to have uh, people in your life, whether you stumble upon them or you intentionally go to them, that yeah. give you a reference point to go in a, in a different trajectory. Yeah. And so you have obviously that whether you stumbled into faith or not, it right. was the beginning of your experience in that. And then having people around you that kind of mentored and, and advised yeah. you as you grew is critical yeah. to everyone's you know growth as a person in general and growth in faith too. And I know you've pursued mentoring and and I I did, I have. And those two guys essentially kind of moved on, moved, uh, moved away kind of soon after. And 
I was so, they were such a, a blessing benefit influence my life. I started to look for other mentors like that. And I kind of like the ugly duckling, I think for many years would try to find, and I would be a, maybe sort of interested in who this guy was or lady was. And then I go spend time and I would, I would very early say, Hey, I'm looking for a mentor. And I can't tell you, I forgot how many times somebody would say, Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I would kind of like, okay, great. And then I'd leave. And my experience with those two guys in college never really translated again outside. Of, I think what most, so I, I wouldn't get the calls from those mentors. These people, I, I'm like, oh, okay, I got a new mentor. Uh -huh. And then they wouldn't call me. And then I would kind of circle back like two or three months later to get on their calendar again. And they'd be like, sure. And then I'd go meet with them and they'd be like, what do you want to talk about? And I'm kind of thinking, I, I have no freaking clue. <laughs> you tell me what to talk about. And I think the, it's, it's rare to have somebody that truly understands, I think, the, how to be really impactful in a mentoring role. I don't think there's any shortage of people that are willing to spend time with young people and share their thoughts. Uh, but to really walk alongside somebody and do these kinds of pretty simple things, but, and, and probably it's because it wasn't modeled for them. So to find someone who has the capacity and understanding and the desire to mentor is extremely rare and so impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And just something you touched on earlier, just someone taking a genuine interest in you yeah. Yeah. makes all the difference. And that yes. it's something super small, but then also having someone to model it after them being able to sit down and kind of have a framework to go off of to help guide you, right? So yeah. touching on that a little bit, when you look for mentors, what would be your advice to someone that is looking for mentors and maybe uh, what are things that they should do and maybe don't do as, yeah. they, as they go about that? Well, I, th I think my biggest mistake in those uh, other pursuits of mentors was I, I really didn't come to anything, come to the table with anything I did. I wasn't coming with any questions or topic or problems. I just was like, hey, mentor me. And I put, I think, too much burden on them to, one, to have the skill set that I probably needed at a, in my you know, 23, 25 years old. Um, so I think there's some, some four thoughts that should happen. And, and when I make an ask, when I would make an ask to be a mentor, I probably wouldn't even ask that anymore. I wouldn't just be like, Hey, can we, you know, it's like defining the relationship, like doing yeah. <laughs> just be cool, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, people, like, <laughs> my son's in high school is like, I, I said, Oh, does so-and-so have a girlfriend? He's like, no, no, no. They're just talking. I go, yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> so just talk with some mentors. You don't need to tell them or define it, but to come with specific questions and position them to, to be able to speak into your life. And the other mistake I always made was not, um, not being prepared to really share what was on my mind or my heart, which took me a long time in general to kind of crack open the vaults of what's going on inside. I just hear echoes of my wife in the first years of marriage. Like, <laughs> I just want to know what you think about. I just want to <laughs> know what you're feeling. And I'm like, what you see is what you get. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I could have done a much better job, even spending 10 minutes writing down some thoughts. How am I doing? Hmm. Cause they're going to ask that question. Uh, what am I worried about right now? Hmm. <laughs> and then come prepared with questions and then also willing to share. So they have some better insight into me. Yeah. Having some intention and being able to, to be authentic in the moment. Right. Is yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty critical to that. Yeah. So are you, are you kind of a analytical thinker automatically? Do you like have a lot of thoughts going on in your head or you have to kind of sit down and really, really think to pull that stuff out. Um, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think, yeah. I, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, there's StrengthsFinder stuff, there's Enneagram stuff. I, I can kind of operate, uh, just kind of depends. I think oftentimes I'd be more in, intuitive. So it's, if you ask me the process, I'll walk you through the steps, but that's not how it works inside. It's just the quick contingencies and, and where, you know, um, and I don't really suffer from uh, like laps around the track, the same conversation in my head over and over again. Thank God I have that in my past, but now I'm pretty good at turning things off uh, as a survival mechanism because there's so much going on. I think mm -hmm. I would just implode if I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, you're at uh, San Diego and then you transition out, out of college. What did that look like? And then at that time, did you step into... Uh, kind of ministry or nonprofit world, or what was that like? Yeah, I spent ended up spending ten years with InterVarsity, which meant I was uh, raising money 
about half my time and job was to raise money for the organization. And then the other half was to develop leaders, uh, younger kind of 20 somethings leaders and then college student leaders to do things that I was doing as a student, uh, lead scripture studies, engage students in faith conversations, um, set up things like service projects and retreats, speak. So for 10 years, that was my role was to kind of build systems and teams and leadership. And I absolutely loved it and was always challenged by it. People, um, people are hard, people are challenging. How do you, how do you develop somebody it was really the constant question and, and mirrored to how does Jesus develop someone? And, and even if I were to become an absolute atheist tomorrow, I would still say, I can't think of another better leadership book than the examples of Christ in the gospels. And I just, I just, I just can't think of it. There's, there's not one book that even gets close to the strategy and the vision and the actual tactics of developing people. Um, so I spent 10 years doing that. And, uh, and then the last year or two, I discovered my interest in another problem, which was transitioning into life. So I was, I became pretty proficient at trying to reach the campus, reach college students, be, be engaging to college students. But then I, I noticed that there was this gap for college students then gra graduating and figuring out their way, figuring out their way in life and relationships and career. And so I ended up uh, starting a new company uh, with some other guys almost 10 years ago that design curriculum and learning experiences for young people to figure themselves out. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to jump into those too, because early on, you said in college, you had that shift from accounting into what those 10 years yeah. of ministry. And then you have this other shift where you go from those 10 years in ministry into something new as well. Talk yeah. about, you know, what were you thinking about when you were moving from the accounting world and the idea of this, this lifestyle that you had always kind of thought about into yes. something that's totally different from that. And, yes. and maybe it may not be as secure per se, yes. or yeah. there's all types of things that pop up in, in someone's head as they're going from something that they thought about into something yeah. totally new. What were yes. those limiting beliefs that you might've had? What are the, what are right. some of the obstacles that were in front of you? Well, one, one thing I've, I think that's, I've been able to learn because I had to solicit funds. I had to find 50 to hundred people every year. They'd be willing to give money. Yeah. A lot of money for many of them to support me and the organization I was working with. And on so many uh, fronts that was, that felt insecure uh, because we were almost always short. We always needed more. And it felt like we're always in lack and in need. But when I look back on 10 years, I really did not lack once. We had a son who had many surgeries and people would like just show up and drop off a $5,000 check to cover the cost of surgeries. We had so many people praying for us who cared about us. Then when I transitioned to entrepreneurial world, selling things outside of ministry, and I wasn't fundraising anymore, all of a sudden I'm like, where'd all my people go? I, that, <laughs> was, that felt more secure to me than the past 10 years when I've had to hustle and, and figure out how to sell. And, and um, so it's a very, I, I look back now with very different perspective. And, and my family would look at me during those 10 years, like, why don't you just go get a real job that was secure? And now in, in the past, I don't know, five, six years, I, I can't tell you how many friends I've had who've lost their very cushy, uh, stable salary jobs, and then they're out of work for six months or a year. So is that stable? Um, and I, you know, I think what it's taught me overall is a deeper dependence on God's provision and also my hustle. So that might sound a little heretical, but I really, I really trust myself at this point that I will do what it takes to earn the money I need to provide for my family and uh, develop the skills and assets to bring value to people, know how to bring value to people. So I'll pay you money. Uh, those are amazing skills that I'm so grateful for. Absolutely. Do you feel like it was kind of following the promptings of God as he tugged on your heart to go in a different direction too as well? So that trust and then yeah. that work ethic as well? Yeah, and I, it, it's it's tricky because there's always competing voices. I had very to leave full time ministry and go into this like quote unquote secular business venture. I had friends, mentors sit me down, take the intention to sit me down and say, basically, what are you doing? Because I think they see talents in me for 
things like proclaiming the gospel or teaching and discipling. Um, and that would through, that would throw me for a loop for weeks or months or that voice would be in my head for a couple of years. Like, hmm, maybe I am disobeying God. And, and I've just learned, I think since then, that's almost been 10 years now, every time I don't trust my gut and I, and I believe, and I, I can get there theologically that God is in my gut speaking to me through my intuition not always, but, but when I'm doing the work and processing, every time I don't trust my God, it goes poorly. And the promptings of God, I think come to me through what do I want? What do I really truly desire? Cause I know at this point, I don't want a fancy car. I don't want, I don't want these kind of worldly things. I want impact. I want influence. I want to grow. I want to develop other people. So those things are very much aligned to God's purposes too. Yeah. So talk about what you're doing today and what you're doing now. Yeah. Now I run this company called the U school and we primarily want to support and intervene in young people's lives to help them wrestle with and answer what we would say are life's most important questions. And in, in those big questions, we, we would say there's three, three pillars, uh, identity, purpose, and belonging. And those three things, like you could, if you imagine, identity. I know who I am. I know what I stand for, all those things. If you have a clear identity and maybe you also have a, a, a clear purpose, like I, I know why I'm here. I have talents and strengths. I like to contribute. Uh, I've got a problem to solve, but you are missing one of those pieces. You're missing like close relationships of authenticity and connection. I think most people would say, yeah, that's, there's something deeply missing in your life. But you could also maybe have close relationships, uh, clear identity, but miss out on like why you're here or have any sense of clarity. And you just imagine that, like, I think that turns into hopelessness. Why am I here? What's this for? Why am I? So, and then you can also not have your real clear identity and uh, just lack like a sense of uh, context for my life. And does this all matter? So we try to help students think about those things and answer those questions. And what we've seen is young people can, Teenagers can answer those questions. And when they do, questions like, what do you believe in? What's most important to you? Uh, what talents do you have? What problems do you want to solve? How do you uh, repair a relationship when you have conflict? Like to actually give a student the opportunity to think through that question and answer it and process it out loud with their peers and other mentors. What we've seen is that uh, the younger they are to make some clarity out of those questions, the better choices that they make early on, which is different than saying, don't worry about it. It'll all work out. You'll figure out life as you go, which I think is the norm. And that's not necessarily bad. We just think there's a better, more efficient way. And so we try to come into public schools and charter schools and private schools, and then partnerships with places like YMCA and anywhere students gather, and sometimes uh, sports teams and, and sports leagues and uh, churches, and bring this curriculum and train adults how to ask these questions. So that's that's uh, that's U School in a nutshell. We work with veterans too, the Navy SEALs in transition. We've worked with some athletes, uh, NCAA programs, Olympic, Paralympic athletes, uh, all in the same context though of when you're in transitioning, like you transition out of coaching, uh, these big questions come up again. And we just try to meet people in those transitions and help them come to clarity. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes for everybody, not just students. It can be anybody yeah. coming out of transition, right? Yeah. So what are the things that, I mean, when you think about what you're, the questions that you're asking, why are they not asked, do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think, I will, I'll say this. I still, when I present and, and speak, or like yesterday I was, I was meeting virtually with a school uh, team, like a bunch of teachers, like a hundred of them. And I was explaining this very thing. Like there's, I still feel silly, stupid for suggesting that they would do that. It's like, how could that be not obvious? And, yeah. and I think to many, it's not, it, it, they already do it. They just, they just don't really think about it, but they, they engage students, they ask questions. Um, but I've, <laughs> That idea of common sense, I think to, to me, things seem very obvious in common sense. And um, the phrase we've been using has been uncommon sense. That, that there's something about 
the, the, these questions and the idea that young people would answer these questions, it's like, it is common. Everyone who hears it, it's like, oh, yeah. But then to your point, why, why don't we do it? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, I don't mean, I don't even care why it's not asked, but um, let's just fix it. Let's just solve it. And it can be solved. It's, this is not complicated. Like there's, there's obviously curriculum out there where you have to get to know, I'm looking at like a strengths finder book or an Enneagram. Like there's, you kind of get to, you, there's a depth to it, complexity. If you really want to understand the tool or the, or the content, ours is like super simple. There's no content. It's just questions. <laughs> and, and it's not hard to train. It's not hard to scale. It's, you can do this everywhere. At the end of a practice, a coach can spend five minutes and, you know, normally give some feedback and stuff. Or you can spend five minutes saying, uh, ask students, like, what did you learn about teamwork tonight? What did, what did you learn about what, what a good friend does? What, at what moment did you feel like you had to push through some resistance and try harder? Just share that. Turn to the person, turn to the kid next to you and share that, what happened to you tonight. And then you help a kid go to the next layer of what's actually happening which doesn't happen for most kids. They're just on to the next activity and they're not being thoughtful about it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something that's so profound in just asking a simple question, like to really, yeah. to really think about what the question means and yeah. then going and processing and analyzing who you yeah. are and thinking about the question. It really does. It can solve a lot of issues. Yeah. Just by and this is what your podcast is. It's questions to people. And then let's, let's think through, some responses. And there's something about the process of doing that, you asking questions. I mean, and I know you've had this experience too, where the question actually helps me uh, come to clarity about it. There's something like, oh, I haven't thought about it that way before. And if I know, I'm you know, obviously an accounting major, but I've, I like to read things like neuroscience and there's stuff that happens in our brains where you're asking a question and I've thought about it this way. And all of a sudden I have to kind of connect the dots and you and I might call that, would we have a moment like that? We see a connection, we see a pattern. You might say like, that's an aha moment or, oh my gosh, that's an insight I haven't had before, but that, that's actually your brain connecting things. And mm -hmm. your brain really, really likes that. It's, it's actually pleasurable. It's enjoyable to see things I hadn't seen about myself before. And I just read this weird uh, academic research paper from like 2012 and what they were studying, these psychologists were studying uh, what happens to people when they talk about themselves. And there's actually like chemicals that are released uh, that make you feel good. And it's, you just think about if, if you come from a place where God's designed us, period, and God's designed our systems the way he wants them to work, then it's, it's interesting that he would design a part of us feeling good as processing out loud good things that are happening in our lives. So you can extrapolate that and say, hmm, seems like God set it up so that when we talked about him, when we talked about good things, uh, actually we'd feel uh, incentivized. <laughs> yeah, like That's a smart design. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. I didn't even think about that. But yes, mm -hmm. there's something about having those questions and connecting the dots. You have this mm -hmm. epiphany moment that really everything becomes a whole different perspective. Yeah. And it's it can change, change. Yeah, it's a gift. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that you talk about that because just asking simple questions, it's, it's yeah. uh, sometimes it's common sense, but uncommon practice, right? Yeah. And, and that's what way. good mentors do. Like we were talking about earlier, they ask questions. And I think a lot of people obviously think of mentoring is, uh, yeah, I'll share my thoughts about those things. But like those two guys for me and mentors for you, the ones that made the most difference would share something that they thought about and then use a very simple question like, so what do you think? What do you think about that? And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't, And you try to form some words and then, the, then you sit with, is that what I really think? And then mm -hmm. you get some feedback from someone based on how they're looking at you or what they say. And that either affirms, oh, that is what I think, or yeah. kind of gives you more dissonance and, not, but now I have this conflict. I want to resolve that. Con I, I want to figure out what I think about that. So the power of asking simple, clear questions and being genuinely interested in the answer. I don't, and again, look at Jesus. What did he do? <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Do you want to be made well? <laughs> uh, why are you here? Can I come over to your house or not? Do you yeah. want to follow me? Like all these questions put people on the spot. 
and and he's got to see people transform yeah and there's something powerful being able to take what jesus did and applying that in our own lives like asking people other people yeah good intentional questions but having a genuine curiosity about yeah. what is it what what's their answer you know wanting yeah. to learn what that is because whenever we hear those questions answered back from their perspective right. we also process that in totally. our own mind and we start yeah. thinking about oh well what's what's my answer yeah. and then how is that shifting yeah. and realigning realigning right. and things like that as well so that, that's a powerful yeah. powerful uh, perspective and just having uh, the right questions and applying mm -hmm. them and and really mm -hmm. so if, if you're in a conversation with someone just yeah. asking intentional questions not just simple yeah. easy questions but in, intentional simple easy questions yeah. to really get them yeah. thinking in the right direction yeah and you have a knack obviously for that and it's a skill that you can learn at the same time yes absolutely uh, tell me more that's a that's a way of getting more out of somebody what do you mean by that what do you think about that like this this isn't you don't got to go to grad school to ask yeah. better questions yeah and you absolutely. think of the implications of that you want to be a better salesman you want to be a better teacher you want to be a better friend <laughs> yeah you think of something where asking questions would not just sort of benefit but it'd be a gigantic benefit for you absolutely and i think uh, one thing that on a side note i've just been reading some books and and really thinking about some different people and and being around others and you realize that uh the people that seem to um you know move down the, in a certain direction a little bit ahead of others they're willing to ask they're willing to ask yeah. questions yeah. and so that's something if we can learn that at a younger age or we can learn it right where we are no matter if we're old or young to ask yeah. to be yes. intentional just to ask ask a question whether it's yes. towards a person or towards the thought just yes. ask make the ask yeah. and it There's really guy, does uh, the favorite author dallas willard he mm -hmm. i remember saying uh, he said something about the request he was, he was talking about uh jesus is teaching on on ask uh, ask and knock and seek and he just said there's something irritating about being asked for something it it creates a crisis for you it creates a problem for you and if you know for me as a parent every time a kid says can i have a snack it's a little crisis for me because I, now i have to go spend the energy to either say no and deal with their emotions about it or the time and energy to go actually do it either way it's a request it's a cost Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's a very clear teaching. If you don't ask, you probably won't have. Uh, so I, I know for me, I'm highly uh, conscientious, um, worried about people rejecting me, worried yes. about people being mad at me. So asking, it takes a lot of courage. It can be very courageous because obviously they might reject me, but I'm also realized I'm just giving someone else a problem. Well, I'm, I'm kind of hardwired to not give people problems to try to yeah. help people. So it's, but then I see friends, I'm sure you have them too, that yes, they seemingly have no problems asking for anything and they get two thirds of what they want. Yeah. And it's really irritating. <laughs> I wish yeah. I didn't have that chip of worried, uh, worried about what people think. Yeah, absolutely. But if you look at some patterns of people's lives, you, you kind of see that pattern pop up and it's yeah. on the opposite side of that is that, that the fear of rejection, like it's yeah. okay. Like if someone rejects you, it's okay. Yeah. Move on to the next, keep, yeah. keep keep going in the right direction. So yeah. anyway, that's, that's fantastic. But real quickly, as we, as we kind of wind down, yeah, you know, you have a podcast that you co-host the dream mm -hmm. big podcast. How did that come about and, and what kind of describe what you're doing? Well, uh, maybe people don't know who Bob Goff is. He's, he was a construction attorney that well, on the side was doing some really interesting work overseas and in, in, in developing countries, anywhere really where kids were being hurt or marginalized. He was, flying there and trying to figure out what to do. So he was humanitarian work doing stuff in Uganda and in India. And uh, around the time, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, he decided to write a book about the stuff he was learning. And, and a lot of people bought the book. And, uh, and then I, as he, he was one of those significant mentors of mine in my late, probably mid to late twenties. And that was before he wrote a book before he was like a podcast guy, content guy. Yeah. How do you and, connect? We met, he lives in San Diego. I live in San Diego and a mutual friend just uh, said, Hey, I'm going to introduce you guys. And, and I instantly, I was like, who is this guy? It's, it's, he's a lawyer, but he's, he does this stuff overseas and uh, full of life. And so he was one of the, and I would bring questions to him and he would share thoughts about my life and had some really key insight into me that no one else was kind of affirming a blessing in me. So I think he and I are wired relatively similarly. 
different personality, but was similar to wiring. Um, so anyways, he wrote a book and it went well. And all of a sudden he's like, what do I do with all this? And, uh, and I helped him a few years ago, design a digital course. And cause he knew I did, I did a lot of curriculum design and, and then I think it was kind of like, what else could we do? That's, that's one of his continuous questions. What else could we do? What else could we do to serve and to, and to create things that would be meaningful for people. And so this is, I think three or four years ago now, the podcast, and he called and said, Hey, podcast. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Um, he's like, you know, do you know much about that? I was like, yeah, uh, I have one. I do one for you school. And, and there's a lot of moving parts. You know that Bailey, there's like a lot of moving parts within a podcast, but it's once you kind of figure out where to post it and how to edit and it's not that hard. Um, it's like, sure. Yeah. And then I, and I, recommend it to him that he would have a co-host because I think the part the parts that I appreciate most from him are when he's positioned to answer questions mm-hmm. and that's harder to do you could do that as a speaker but it's harder to do that in this format so sure anyways we started it and and he hasn't fired me yet um so <laughs> but I don't know if he's listening lately but maybe he will yeah um, but we've what we've been trying to do is have really interesting conversations through this idea, the central theme of helping people understand their deeper ambitions and give them permission to pursue them and explore them. And then some, some steps and guidance to how to do that. And we like pulling in people that have done relatively extraordinary things and just try to unpack how they're thinking about those things that they're doing and why they're doing them. And uh, it's been, it's been fun. It's been like kind of an easy light gift for me get to get to listen to these conversations and and it's been it's gone well what's been your biggest takeaway from you know just the podcast and observing all these different people and their perspectives i think the biggest the biggest theme of all these people i think we've had i don't know how many episodes 120 or something like that more the central theme of uh, these are all shapes and sizes of people all different walks of life but they, they've all been doing something that I think we would say is relatively extraordinary and above and beyond. And, and I think the central theme is uh, uh, their willingness to push through things. It's like kind of what you were saying earlier, maybe this before we started, but this podcast, the podcast you're doing, like, why not do this? There's that little chip in your brain that you, you just resolved that. Why not now? Why not me? Kind of thing. The folks that we talk to, they all have that similar kind of, huh. And I, and at the same time, no big ego out of any of them, these kind of famous, quasi-famous, influential people. Um, not like, I think people want to hear what I have to say, so I'm going to do it. But it's more like, why wouldn't I say that? And mm-hmm. that's rubbed off on me quite a bit. And that's, I think the phrase you use a couple of times, limiting beliefs. I think most people... Uh, myself included, struggle with that imposter syndrome. Who am I? Who would? Um, but these are the folks that they just say it anyways, and are willing to be embarrassed or um, willing to allow it to not be successful. But there just seems to be this intentional pursuit of it, and it works out at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not waiting for permission. I've I've heard you yeah. say that before. You guys mm-hmm. said it on the podcast and. You don't have to wait for anybody's permission. Just go and do it because why yeah. not in a sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you feel led and you feel like it's God calling you to do something, you might as well do it and see yeah. how he Test affirms it, it right? It might he'll be affirm wrong. it. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if it's not his, he won't affirm it. But yeah, you'll <laughs> correct. Yeah, I, I've noticed that I'll, I'll get corrected relatively quickly when it's, and I'll know it in the inside too. I'll know when I'm kind of over my skis or, or just like, oh, that was, that's really just about me. That's what I, that was for me. And, and that's not always wrong, but I know when it's wrong and yeah, then I can reflect and be like, okay, next time I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the the point you made about kind of going with, with your gut sometimes, because you have that sense yeah. of clarity and knowing, um, you know, your makeup and just that, that feeling yeah. that you have about going towards that is really critical, yeah. I think. Yeah. So yeah. as we wind down, we've got a fire round actually real quick cool. before we get into that, I want to touch on real quickly, your, your family life, you know, you're married, oh, you yeah. have kids mm-hmm. and what is it? What does it mean to be a good husband and father from your perspective? Mm, um, I think what they would say would be <laughs> to be in, engaged. Because uh, I, I I certainly know what it's like to be present, but not engaged. Um, and I have a very, I think a lot of people do now, I have, but I've always had a weird 
schedule for work. Um, being at home, being available. I don't, I don't, I've never had a dad goes away uh, from eight and comes back at six or seven. And that's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. So I'm oftentimes with my kids. Like I can, I can take them to doctor appointments or pick them up at school. But at the same time, I'm still, in, I'm kind of on the clock and I'm still thinking about work. And sure. Um, so I, I would say overall, it's, um, it's a continuous kind of commitment to be as engaged as I can. But I also know there's times when I just have to, I just have to work. I just, uh, the trade-off of me being available at three o'clock to coach a team is um, maybe having to sit down at my computer for 30 minutes around bedtime and, and bust out some emails or something. Um, and that's a good trade-off, but the overall presence, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's what uh, that will work out. Uh, <laughs> like it's a theory, right? I, I hope that me choosing to be engaging with them and present will turn out, turn out into good things, good people, good connections. Um, but I will see, I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in the fire round, um, just want to ask you a question and you can respond however you feel. Cool. So ambition is, mm. uh, I think it's a, a, where your desires meet opportunity, uh, where you feel called or feel led or want to do something. And then there's an opportunity to do it. Otherwise it's just a wish. So I think ambition is kind of a desire and a wish turned into something. Action. Yeah, that's great. Favorite place to travel? The, any golf course. Okay. <laughs> Even down the street. No, but uh, my, my wife and I would probably stay together. We, we got to study abroad in Italy together in college. Oh, really? So at some point we look forward to going back. Yeah. We're in Italy. We studied in Florence. Oh, you said Florence. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Beautiful place. Discipline yep. is... Uh, I think it's a, a commitment to what's most important. Um, I'm, I'm not someone who really struggles with discipline. I think because I spent a lot of time like writing down like what's most important and because I don't want to miss it. And I think I got to see that played out in my family growing up. So it was like you know, the warning sign. Don't don't uh, misprioritize things. So yeah. when I know what I want and why it's important, then it's not it's not hard to make the the choice and the habit yeah me. yeah absolutely favorite uh coaching experience you said you coached oh soccer. yeah gosh <laughs> well we could have our own I, podcast about that one but yeah we'll... totally yeah <laughs> i i've coached this is i just wrapped up last night my 21st team this is all youth little kids my uh -huh. kids basketball soccer baseball softball um and it and the first 18 lost like not just lost but i i coached many years of little league and we were like oh and 20 yeah. for years like really really bad and i would just and because i was so intent on being positive and having fun and but i would always be like but i you know i think i am actually coaching well i think i'm i'm teaching them i, I know sports and i know but it just does not translate it's just yeah. not translating <laughs> And my favorite moment was, it's like two years ago, my youngest girl and I, and I had this team and I didn't coach any differently. And, and the team won the tournament first place. And I, and it was, I was like walking across the field, all the parents are freaking out and the kids are cheering. And, and I, and I knew that it didn't, it didn't matter. And I knew that I was the same coach. I just happened to get like three or four girls that just dominated. <laughs> and there's so it was this reassurance that I wasn't blowing it over the previous like seven or eight years yeah the teams that lost and uh so that's my favorite moment not because we won but because it's like oh good it it wasn't me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got some bad players yeah <laughs> <laughs> gotta have a good player to win so yeah it all comes down to um I don't gosh I don't know uh it all comes down to probably the theme of what we're talking about, asking the right questions, being willing to wrestle with those questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're done with the fire on. You can breathe. So cool. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the last two questions I have for you, what's the best advice you've ever received? Probably, you know, because we're speaking about Goth. I met with him. I was probably 28 and, and I was at a point in my job where I didn't want to take the next step in the career because it didn't, it was the right up the ladder, but it didn't, I didn't want to. And I just met with him and, and, and said that I'm, you know, everyone's saying I'm supposed to take this next job. I don't want to. It seems like when I think about that job, it seems smaller. 
more constraints. It seems like a bummer. I feel like I'll be sad, <laughs> but it's more money. It's more influence. Um, and his, and he just was like listening. He's like, well, he goes, some people are wired to be a sharpshooter and they have one specific thing. Other people are wired to be shotguns. It sounds like you're a shotgun and I want you to just go be yourself. And I was like, really? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, like just go be you. And I was like, okay, that's a foreign thought. Uh, and, and that was the best advice I've had. And it hasn't, every time I'm off track, I just had to get out of a couple of relationships with the client, different clients. It, it's, it was so bad. It was so much work, so much stress and energy that I was spending on trying to manage these relationships. But if I was honest, I would have not started in the first place because I knew at the time it wasn't going to go well, but I just over, I overrode it with, but it's good money or, but it's a good opportunity or they need help. Um, and every time I don't listen to my gut and what do I want, it backfires. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of, a lot of great, great advice within that. Just uh, having that, that simple kind of analogy but it's so it gives you such a clear visual of just go be you, yeah. you know, yeah. and stick to yeah. that is, is really challenging. What else but, could you be? Really? Yeah. yeah. What else could you be? <laughs> Honestly? Yes, absolutely. So uh, this podcast is called building excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I think it aligned to what we just said, you, uh, what is greatness? Look at that a lot in the gospels. What does Jesus say is greatness? It's, it's a mixture of it's you, but it's not about you. That, that's the weird paradox go be you but it's not about you <laughs> so i love that yeah on the pursuit be willing to give yourself away i remember the lego movie the whole i don't know if you ever saw that because you don't have kids yet you'll you'll know it uh but the whole theme song is everything is awesome everything is awesome everything is awesome and there's this like both hand of you know you were awesome but you're also not that important at the same time like it's it's about you but it's not about you so i think excellence is in the midst of that building a life that's really wired for you and then giving it all away at the same time. And, and that seems to be this deeply satisfying um, kind of razor thin edge to stay on if you can. Yeah, that's fantastic. So Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for doing what you're doing to make an impact in all the, the people's lives that you have both on the podcast and your company. Um, thank you for doing that. And if someone wanted to kind of follow you guys or reach out, what's the best way yeah. of doing that? Uh, probably the, the U school it's the U school.com and, and that's the easy place to follow and contact. And we got a bunch of free content on the website, questions you can ask your kids, if you've got them or coworkers. So that's the easiest place. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. I'm glad we caught you before you went on the golf course. So yeah, thanks. Bailey. thanks I hope. Thanks. <laughs> hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.